So I, I'm very, very excited to be here with you all um, this afternoon. Um, earlier this week, we, we have a totus to us. You guys have totus to us in the various, various areas of your lives? Yeah, so three of you. So what that is, is there are teams of like, uh, usually four, two guys, two girls, and they go, to, they do vacation Bible school all over the diocese. So I met with our team, we got trained all last week, and they asked me this question, it's a very important question. Father Mike, what is your opinion on practical jokes? It's a very important question, because we need to establish right up front that I hate practical jokes with the fire of a thousand suns. Like just, it's, 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 there's no, it's, there's no, there's never a good end to practical jokes. Here's the thing. Because all they do, all practical jokes ever do is they um, make you late, they make a mess, and they make you have something to do. And you typically, because of the same thing, right? Practical jokes will make a mess, therefore you have a chore, and now you're late. And that's the thing. The other thing practical jokes do is they escalate. And that's, and I've lived that. I've lived that life. I lived the prank life, and the prank life is not for me. When I was in college, um, the, my, the guys in my, in my dorm, or our, our apartment, we had this prank war with the guys who lived in the next dorm over. And it was, it was benign at first. And at first, we started pranking each other because we were friends. Here's the thing. We didn't stay friends. Because that's the thing. You start pranking friends, and then you end up becoming, you end up cranking your enemies. Why? Because the whole thing is they escalate. Now, I'm not going into the details about it, but just so you know, the last prank involved one of the two of the groups. How would I say this delicately? Urinating all over our door in the winter and telling us about it two months later. So, we called a truce. <laughs> no, that's the thing, is like you call a truce. When things get that serious, then you're like, okay, truce, ceasefire. That's the whole deal, right? Because now, again, we're not friends anymore. You think we're friends. We're no longer friends. We are what they call enemies. That's what we are now. Because things escalate to a point where it's like, okay, all we can do now is all we can do is call a truce. And now here's an interesting thing about, the interesting thing I think about truces is when you call a truce, it's just, it, that, it's all, all it is is a ceasefire. You don't trust the people you just call the truce with. So you're always like, what did they do this time? You're walking home like, okay, are they going to do something next? Because sometimes our experience with truces is not they lead to trust. It simply means it's an absence of, absence of violence. What I want to talk about this morning, this afternoon, today, on Pentecost Sunday, I want to talk about peace. I want to talk about the, the truth that God has declared with us. And here's the interesting thing. Like on Pentecost Sunday, all of the things we could talk about, like the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself being poured out to renew the face of the earth, the Holy Spirit of adoption that makes us cry out, Abba, Father, that we are God's sons and daughters, the Holy Spirit of power and of love and of self-control. There are so many gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gift of healing, the gift of prophecy that is alive today. All of these gifts we could talk about forever. But there is a fruit of the Holy Spirit First one is love. Next one is joy. But the third fruit is peace. To recognize that the gift, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is peace. And I, if you were to ask me, I would say that peace is the most underrated fruit of the Holy Spirit we could possibly imagine. In fact, I would call it the, the nuclear power of the Holy Spirit's gift of peace. 
Like, it's almost unimaginable. I don't think we understand it because we understand, typically we understand peace as simply an absence of conflict. Peace is simply an absence of violence. Peace is like an absence of the bad thing. It's the ceasefire. We call the truce. And on one hand, that is actually true. We call the truce because we were enemies. And this actually is the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is actually true. I don't know if you realize, if we show up here realizing that until Christ came, As it says, St. Paul writes in his letter to the Ephesians, he says, Until Christ came, we were without hope and without God in the world. In fact, as he writes in the letter to the Romans, he says, We were his enemies. We were his enemies. You and I are born into this world enemies of God. Until Christ came, all humanity had an enmity with God. That God made us his beloved creatures, and we made ourselves his enemy. And it's only by what Jesus did on the cross that we're, he calls a truce. In fact, it's only by the power of the, of the cross that Jesus can send us the power of the Holy Spirit. I wonder his first words to his disciples today. He shows up and it says in John's gospel, he said to them, peace. This is so important, and if we don't know how important this is, then we don't know how big of enemies we were to the Lord. Again, he made us his beloved creatures. We made ourselves his enemies, and then we killed him. And what are his first words? Jesus comes back after everything he did for us, and he says his first words, I'm not your enemy. His first words, I'm not your enemy. I made you my beloved creatures. You made me your enemy. Peace. And he calls this truce. In fact, St. Paul says, he describes this, he says, he broke down the enmity that was between us and him. That it was the Holy Spirit. That the presence of the Holy Spirit in us is Jesus saying, all those who have my spirit belong to me. Think about this. Pentecost. All those who have my spirit belong to me. Those who don't have my spirit remain my enemies. This is the bad news. This is the sad news. That all those who don't have my spirit remain my enemies. But all those who have been given the spirit's gift, you're no longer my enemies. And he calls a truce. But the great thing is this, that we realize that, biblically speaking, that peace is not simply the absence of conflict. It's not simply a ceasefire. The peace is something more. It's not just the absence of tension, not the absence of conflict. Peace is the presence and the possession of every good thing that we need. Another way to say it like this. Peace is peace is having what Jesus has. Peace is having this in being in stable possession of what Jesus has. Think of it this way. Um, Jesus knows what he needs. He has what he needs. 
and he knows he has what he needs. In John chapter 14, what does Jesus say to his disciples? And this is his last supper. And he looks at his disciples and he says, Peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give my peace. It's a whole different thing. Well, I'm giving you my peace. So we have to ask the question, what does Jesus' peace look like? Jesus' peace is this. He knows what he needs. He has what he needs, and he knows he has what he needs. That last part is so important, because you might know what you need, and you might have what you need, but you might forget that you have what you need. But if you're going to have the peace of Jesus, what does it look like? It looks like being at the Last Supper, knowing that this is my last meal, knowing that this is the last time I'm going to see my friends, knowing that after this, my friends will betray me, they will abandon me, they will leave me, and still saying, I no longer call you slaves, I call you friends. And this is the kind of thing where Jesus has this, I know what I need, I have what I need, and I know I have what I need. And he says, my peace, this reality, I give it to you. This is what I want you to have as well. What's another word for that? Trust. Another word for peace is trust. Here's Jesus in the midst of the Garden of Gethsemane, in agony, truly suffering, And yet, I know what I need, I have what I need, and I know I have what I need. The Spirit's gift of peace, that same gift, that same peace is what Jesus wants for you. Question. How many of us, when we pray for the gift of the Holy Spirit, we pray for the presence of the Holy Spirit, when we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit, how many of us are asking for, God, give me more trust? When we're praying for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on our teens, on the people we love, how many of us are actually saying, God, help me to know what I need, give me what I need, and let me know that I have what I need? Because the Spirit's gift, the fruit of the Spirit, is peace. And that peace is, that peace is trust. I absolutely trust the Father. In fact, When you receive the Holy Spirit, John, uh, Paul writes this in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 2. To a people that he says, before you knew Christ, you were without hope, you were without God in the world. There was no way in the world you would ever trust God. He says this, for Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our peace. He who made both one and broke down the dividing wall of enmity enemies. We were enemies of God through his flesh, abolishing the law with its commandments and its legal claims that he might create in himself one new person in place of the two, thus establishing peace and might reconcile both with God. Because this truce is not just a ceasefire. Reconciliation. It's not just let's not hurt each other. It's now we now trust each other. This is the Holy Spirit that he gave to you. It's a question, do you trust the Father? I sometimes think we say we do. But the gift of the Spirit is this peace. The gift of the Spirit is this trust. And he goes on, St. Paul goes on, it's so good. He says, reconcile us with God through the cross, putting that enmity to death by it. And this is so important, this last line, Ephesians 2, 17 and 18. Jesus came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. 
for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. This is the last thing. The Spirit's gift of peace does what? It means we can trust God. But when you have the Spirit, you have this other thing that St. Paul says right here. Through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. What does the gift of Pentecost do? Jesus gives us his peace, which means his trust in the Father. That means in the midst of suffering, we can still say, I know what I need, I have what I need, and I know I have what I need. But also we have something even more. We have access to the Father. When you've been given the Holy Spirit of God, you have access to the Father. You can trust the Father, you have access to him. So when I was growing up, my dad was an orthopedic surgeon. And so he had a clinic about a mile from where I, my home, home, uh, house. It wasn't mine. I didn't own it. I had a room. And so whenever we were hurt or something, he'd say, okay, come, come up to the clinic and uh, get an x-ray. X-rays must be inexpensive, I guess, when you don't have to pay for them. Um, and here's the thing, it's, it's my dad's clinic. So I actually, I've been in a waiting room three times in my life because I was out of town and needed to go to the hospital or to the clinic. But when I go to the clinic, my dad's clinic, I walk in the back door, walk up to the x-ray lady and say, hey, um, hi, my dad wants me to get an x-ray of my leg? Okay, sure, hop on the table. My dad would, I need stitches, so come on up, walk in the back door. Hey, my dad says I need stitches for my arm. Okay, go in that room. I need anything, walk in the back door. I don't have to, there's no waiting room. In fact, one of the most frustrating things in my life was, this, well, I'll go back to, I'll get to that in a second, but this is the reality. I have access to my dad. I don't need to wait in a waiting room. I have access to my dad. If you have the Holy Spirit, if, he, if the Father has adopted you, you have the Spirit of God that lets you cry out, Abba, Father, Dad, then why do you and I live in a waiting room? After my dad retired, my sister, older sister became one of his partners before he retired, then he retired, then she was still his partner. And so I went up to the clinic because I needed some medical attention. That's one of the three times I was in a waiting room. <laughs> it was a situation where I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't know the rules now because maybe I lost it. Maybe, you know, I'm no longer family. I mean, I am family, but I'm not the son of the dad. I'm the brother of the sister. I don't know what the rules are now. And I went in the waiting room like an idiot <laughs> until my sister came out. She's like, what are you doing here? Just come back in. I'm like, well, I don't know. No one knows me here. She's like, you don't need to wait in the waiting room. Your family. You do not need to wait in the waiting room. Your family. It's a question. Where do you live? Do you live in the Father's house? Knowing that you can trust him, or do you live in the waiting room? Well, now I used to be able to go right to the Father's house, but I messed up stuff so bad. the Lord comes out and is like, what did you do not here? You come, just come back in. The Spirit's gift is peace. And not any peace. The peace of Jesus who completely trusts his dad and has absolute access to his dad's heart. 
That's the thing that Jesus says, that peace, it's yours. That peace belongs to you. In this Mass, and for the rest of the, this conference, for the rest of this summer, for the rest of your life, until the end of this life, and you get to go to the Father's house and have access, live knowing that Christ has declared a truce by the power of his cross. Not merely an absence of conflict. Not merely a ceasefire. But a truce that says you can trust your dad. Because you know what you need. You have what you need. And you know that you have what you need access to the Father in one spirit. So why wait?